Okay, our reading this morning is from Hebrews chapter 13, reading verses 1 to 16. While you're turning to the passage, uh, let me just say that at Village, the Bible is central to everything we do. The Bible is God's primary way of speaking to his people, and it shapes everything we believe and everything we do. The Bible is God's word, his gift to us, the church. Because of this, after I've finished reading, I will say, this is the word of the Lord, and we will all respond together, thanks be to God. If you don't own a Bible and would like one, there are some on the shelf at the back, so please feel free to take that home with you. Now let's hear the Lord speak to us this morning from Hebrews chapter 13, reading verses 1 to 16. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated since you are also in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money, and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear, what can man do to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burnt outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect, neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. This is the word of the Lord. Do keep your Bible open at Hebrews chapter 13. We've got a lot to get through this morning, but we're almost at the end of Hebrews, uh, just this week and next week, and then um, that's us done with Hebrews. I, I hope that you've enjoyed it. I know that it's been one of the most challenging books that I've ever studied, and I hope that you felt the same way. Um, actually, let me just pray for us again, because it's always good to pray when we open the Word, isn't it? Um, because what we tend to do is we tend to bring our own agendas <laughs> into God's Word, and we want it to say what we want it to say. And um, So I'm going to pray, and, and I pray that God would lead us as we study this this morning. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Word. We thank you uh, that this Bible is not just some book or some, some collection of ancient texts, that it's actually you speaking to us, your people. This is God's Word for God's people. Lord, we're your people, as Leanne has reminded us this morning through that prayer, that, that we are your people. We are the sheep of your pasture. Uh, Lord, as our shepherd, speak to us, your sheep, this morning through your word. Uh, and Lord, may, may we actually hear what you're saying to us, and may our lives and our hearts be changed to be more devoted in worship to you. We love you, Lord. Amen. 
Um, we're right at the end of this sermon now. I've said the whole way through that I'm pretty convinced that Hebrews is, was a sermon delivered to a church, a, a real church in, in Italy, probably around Rome somewhere, facing some hard times. Um, and he's getting right to the end. And you know what that feels like. Your stomach's starting to rumble. Maybe people are shifting their seats a wee bit. You can smell the Sunday roast in your mind, in your mind's nose. Um, and he knows that his time's nearly up, and on top of this, he, he, he doesn't have a lot of time to spend with these brothers and sister, the sisters that he loves so dearly, and so he wants to make sure that he leaves them with absolutely no doubt that, that what everything he's been saying up to this point uh, means for their lives. So you may have noticed that as, as Jess was reading this passage, that it talks about a whole a whole ream of different stuff, sex and money and, and, and brotherly love and all these different kinds of things. And it's, he has walked this church through their Old Testament scriptures and through their Old Testament history. And by explaining these scriptures to them, he's been building and building and building this case. Jesus is better. Jesus is better over and over and over again. And in this last section that we've been in the last few weeks in chapters 11 to 13, We've been looking at this idea that Jesus gives us a better way to live, this life of faith, a life of worship, a life of devotion to God, a life that, that leads to eternal and everlasting life. Um, it's almost as if he's saying here that, that if you've listened to this message and it doesn't impact how you live, you haven't heard a word I've been saying. Because if Jesus is better than, than anything else that we've been building our hope on or, or been afraid of or uh, anything that is making us tempted to give up the faith, then our lives will be changed. Because how can it not be, right? If Jesus is either better or he's not, that's either true or it's false. And so as he finishes this sermon, he, he wants to show them that the correct response to, to this message, to this fact that Jesus is better, is a life of worship. The correct response to the Jesus who's been shown right through history, uh, through uh, verse after verse from the Old Testament that he's been showing them, that, that the correct response to this Jesus is a life of devotion to him. The correct response to the Jesus who is better is a life that is given over to him in every respect. A life where no part is off limits to him. I just want to go back to the end of chapter 12 where Alan uh, somebody said to me uh, that I left last week and then gave Alan the hard passage to come and teach you about judgment and all. Um, yep, <laughs> that's what I did. Um, I'm going to go back to the, the, the last part of chapter 12. It's on the screen. This is verse 28 and 29 of chapter 12. And it says this, therefore, what's the rule when there's a therefore in the Bible? You have to ask what it's there for. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Consuming, consuming. Who says consuming? Consuming. In other words, what he's saying is, listen, we have received from God this, this kingdom that will never end, that can't be shaken, a future that's completely secure, an inheritance that will never be taken away from us, and because we've, he has given us this true and everlasting and eternal life, there's only one response, acceptable worship. In response to all that we've seen through Hebrews, in response to the Jesus who's our great high priest, our, our eternal hope, our, our perfect once and for all sacrifice, 
the one through whom, remember, we come boldly into the presence of God. Because of him, there's only one response. Acceptable worship. And so we need to ask then, in light of such an amazing God, what is this acceptable worship? And the answer is everything he says in this passage we read this morning. Hebrews 13. Acceptable worship is whole life Christianity. Acceptable worship is whole life Christianity. What that means is it's, it's faith in the everyday. It's living in such a way that, that gives every part of our lives to God. It's allowing Him access to every part of our lives. Our relationships with others. How we show hospitality. How we think about and care for people in need. Our sexuality and marriages and singleness. Our attitudes towards money. How we view and relate to our church leaders. Where we get our hope and confidence from. When we know that Jesus is better, the right response is, is whole life Christianity. Uh, when I was growing up, and I say when I was growing up, my mom still has, this, has, a, has a good room. And I don't know if this is a particularly Balamina thing or a Northern Irish thing or an Irish thing or whatever, but uh, you know what a good room is, right? Um, we don't have one. I don't think our generation will continue this trait. I'm not sure. But that's just this room that's reserved for the visitors, Right? <laughs> And, and the annoying thing is it has all the best stuff in there. Ours even had the best TV that we were never allowed to watch. You got to watch it on Christmas Day and that's it. Had all the, the best carpet, the, the nicest curtains, all the, the most comfy chairs. And it was just reserved for special occasions. And so uh, it was never messy. In fact, the, the, the mess of everyday life was, was kept away from that room, right? You couldn't take food into it. Unless you're a visitor, then of course you could have you know, your food in there. But real life, every day, never happened in that room. And when the visitors came, they came in the front door and they were ushered into the good room. And that's where they stayed until they were ushered out back through the front door. And isn't this just what we try to do with Jesus? Isn't it? That church, church activities, church stuff becomes like a good room that we reserve just for Jesus. And he doesn't get to come into any other areas of our lives. Or at least we try to keep him out of the other rooms of our lives. We have this time and space set aside every week, and, and that's, our, that's our good room. This is our good room for Jesus. This is, our, this is our space for Jesus. Or when we get together with our missional communities, oh, we let Jesus come into the good room then as well, right? He comes into that bit. But what about the rest of our lives? What about the times when we aren't with our church family? Because if the, if the Bible tells us anything, if this chapter tells us anything, it's that Faith has to be our whole lives. This Sunday gathering is about, what, an hour and a half a week? On a good day, if I'm not rambling on too much, an hour and a quarter. But what about the other 100 hours that you're awake every, every, every week? And I want to put it to us this morning that if we're not giving Jesus everything, we're not really giving him anything. Jesus, who is better, deserves, actually demands whole life worship. This means that worship isn't just about singing songs or coming to gathering, although those are important parts of it. Worship that is acceptable to God is whole life Christianity. And we see this played out in six ways in Hebrews 13. Six-point sermon this morning. That's double. Normally you get three, so two for the price of one. That means you're going to be here for a long time. I'm only joking. Um, I'll try and keep it to time. But these are, you can see what he's doing. He's saying, here's some areas in, in the, the, your life that I want you to consider giving over to Jesus. 
everything I've been showing you up to this point, put it into practice in these ways. And the first thing that we see is that we are to be loving. I'm, keep your Bible open in Hebrews 13. I'm, I'm going to keep going back to them. The words will be on the screen as I read it out. This is verses 1 to 3. We're going to read it again. He says, Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to the strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. This actually happened to, to Abraham in the Old Testament. Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Now, it shouldn't be any surprise um, that the preacher starts with, with our love for others, right? Because arguably, there, there's, there's no more important thing in the life of the Christian than, than how we love and treat other people. Love for others is central to the teaching of Jesus and to the apostles. And if we don't do this, if we're not really loving others, we're not really loving God. This is actually our, our very first sermon series that we did when we launched this church was in, in 1 John. And in that, in 1 John chapter 4, I can't remember, we called it vital signs. It was marks of the Christian life, really, to show that we're alive. And in this, John says, in chapter 4, verse 20 of, of his first letter, he says, if somebody says, I love God, but hates his fellow believer, that person's a liar. Because if we don't love people who we can see, how can we love God that we can't see? And it starts with our, he starts with our need to love our brothers and sisters. This brotherly love, right? You've probably heard this Greek word. Uh, I know it's a bit nerdy to go into Greek, but actually it's this word Philadelphia, like the cheese, right? Philadelphia cheese, or the, the city in America. But the cheese is more important than the, than the city, so. Um, it's, it's the love that exists between family members. It's, an unbreakable, it's almost an unbreakable love. And, and I see this between even our kids who are six and three, right? They, they're young, but, and they've, they don't think about this, but it just exists between them. I mean, sometimes they, you know, hit each other and stuff, but, but, but actually there's this love that exists between them that is, that is just there. And this makes sense because family is what we are. If you're a Christian, we as Christians have been adopted into God's family, we're his children. He's our father, and we, therefore, are brothers and sisters. And we're to love each other in this way. This is why one of our core values as a church is church's family. And that's not a catchy phrase, even if some people just try to turn it into a hashtag. It's, it's, it's far more than that. Church's family is, is a deep, deep theological truth. So the people in your missional community, the people around you right now, they're your brothers and sisters, and they'll be your brothers and sisters forever. So he says, continue to love each other with this Philadelphia, with this brotherly love, with this familial love is so important. And I think that's a huge challenge for us. By the way, everything I'm saying, I want you to know that everything I'm saying, it took me a long time to prepare this sermon this week and because um, everything I'm saying to you, I am terrible at. I'm so challenged by this passage this morning. I want you to know that. I'm not telling you, I'm just telling the things, I'm telling you what God is telling us and I'm, and I'm challenged by it. And so the challenge is, do we love our brothers and sisters? And I'm not talking about just an emotion. I'm not talking about a surface level kind of thing. I'm talking about deep brotherly love, love that shows up in the way that we, the ways that we practically and spiritually and emotionally care for one another. Last night, uh, we had uh, a brother and sister of ours in our church just uh, 
provide a practical need at great cost to themselves. And that's brotherly love. And I wonder, is this how we are to other members of our church? And listen, brotherly love in the church is often the first thing that, that goes. It's often the last thing we think about because our lives are so busy and we're so, we're so naturally, you know, bent in on ourselves, self-focused that, that, that then brotherly love tends to go. And so we need to be on our guard here. This is something we need to fight for, something we need to actively pursue. And so we forgive each other and serve each other and, and, and rebuke each other and bear with one another and carry each other's burdens. And, and Hebrews 13 says that this is pleasing to God. This is a right response of being, to being loved by Him. But it's not just those inside the church that we're called to love. We're called to love strangers too. You see, love isn't content with words. Love has to be demonstrated in action. And we know this to be true, right? Because if I say I love my wife, but I just treat her badly, then I don't really love my wife. And likewise, the love of strangers has to be demonstrated through hospitality. I don't think there are, there's not many greater practical demonstrations of the gospel than, than welcoming strangers into your home. Having an open door, welcoming to provide what people need. Because isn't this what God has done for us? Isn't this the gospel? That we were strangers from him. And we had turned our backs on him. And, and he welcomes us into his family. I, I love in Revelation, we get this, this language of Jesus actually opens the door of his home. And invites us in. And sets us at his dinner table. And then serves us his meal. That's the language of hospitality. This is the gospel. And it's not theoretical for us. It's, it's, it's practical. And so we ask ourselves, is there a seat at our tables for the stranger? Is your home a, a, a place of hospitality? Because this is one of the marks of true worship. Um, we're at a stage in our church uh, where, where there are lots of young married couples and young engaged couples and maybe some of you have been married for a while, and, and, and you need to hear this as well. But, but, but we, you should be we should be talking to each other, saying, is this what our home is going to be built on? Is this how we're going to build our family home as, as a married couple? Are we going to welcome strangers as Christ welcomes us? And he doesn't stop there. It's like this love that starts in the church and then grows out to strangers and keeps going and going and going. He says our love should be extended to those in prison. Are those who are oppressed and in need. He actually, in verse 3, calls them the mistreated people. And listen, you might be thinking, well, like that sounds too much. That's, that's too far removed from me. But, but here's what I would challenge you to do. And I did this for myself this week, and it was, it was good. And I ended up uh, meeting someone I'd never met before. If we, I guarantee you, if you ask God to open your eyes to the mistreated people around us, he will do it. He will show them to you. And we can do this in all kinds of ways. And here's some things I was thinking about this week, which led me to talking to someone in the Ormer Road. What about instead of, of walking past the person begging on the street, you know, you do that thing, you try to avoid eye contact. It's handy now with masks. So you'd be like, we can, we, you know, masks can be a great excuse for, for, for not helping people. What about instead of avoiding them, what about stopping and saying hello and saying, how can I help you? What do you need? What about fostering or even adopting children who are born into difficult circumstances? You have no idea how many children in need there are in our city 
You don't have to go to different continents, Africa or South America or, or, or Asia. This is such a picture of the gospel of Jesus. What about visit, volunteering to visit elderly people in your neighborhood? Or, or getting involved with something like prison fellowship to actually do what it says and visit and support people in prison? Listen, church, I'm really challenged by this, and I want us to be challenged by this too. Jesus went out of his way to serve us in our time of need. And if we say we love him, if we really believe that Jesus is better, then we have to do the same for others. So is Jesus allowed into your relationship with others, or, or are you just going to keep him in the good room? I'm going to use that analogy to death this morning, by the way. Whole life worship means that we're loving. That's a big challenge, isn't it? But he doesn't stop there. His time is running out. And so he says, we need to be pure. A whole life, what life worship means that we are to be pure. Listen to verse 4. He says, let marriage be held in honor among all. And let the, not just the married people, among all, he says. And let, them, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. Now, you might think, well, this is a funny one to include. What has this got to do with worship? But, but this is so relevant to our culture, isn't it? If there's one thing that our culture values above other things, it's sex, right? Isn't it? But when sex and marriage and singleness and sexuality are practiced in, in God-honoring ways, then they become powerful proclamations of the gospel of Jesus. In sexual marital fidelity... We reel against the world's destructive tendencies of promiscuity and infidelity and unfaithfulness. Those things that will never satisfy and only lead to hurt. Committed marriages that honor and serve the other become beautiful pictures of the gospel of Jesus who is committed to us and faithful to us. In the context of a faithful marriage, sex becomes an act of worship where each other's needs are met and, and union is completed. A faithful marriage has the, has the power to reclaim the value of sex, which is the opposite of the throwaway commodity the world tells us it is. In the same way, when single people honor God through, through chastity, it screams at the world that, that, that Jesus is far more important and offers far more joy and love and satisfaction than relationships and sex ever can. We don't like to talk about what the Bible says about sex. It makes us uncomfortable. We know it puts us on the outside, right? We, we know it seems old-fashioned and maybe even it seems cruel to certain people. But sexual purity is, an ex is acceptable worship to God. Sexual purity, healthy singleness, faithful marriages are pleasing sacrifices to Him. And I wonder, are you willing to let Jesus into this area of your life? Are you willing to give even this to Him? And that's a tough one, isn't it? Whole life worship means that, that we are to be pure. Thirdly, and we're getting through these. Thirdly, whole life worship means that, that we should be content, that we are to be content. Verses 5 and 6, he says, um, Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. 
So we can confidently say, you see this? God says this, so then we can in response say to him, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? So it's as if he's like, can you, you know, you imagine the original audience and they're like, he's talking about money or sex. Now he's talking about money. Like, come on. But if, if sex is one of the great idols of our culture, our society, then the other one has to be money, right? We live in such a materialistic society um, and, and the main message that we receive is, is buy more, spend more, consume more. I was thinking about it uh, this week and, and how materialism is kind of like the, the new religion that we have, isn't it? And if you don't believe me, I was just reading some stuff that happened over the last year uh, during the, the pandemic. Um, between January 2020 and January 2021, online sales, online retail in the UK increased by 74%. Obviously, for a large portion of that time, uh, actual high street shops were closed. But, 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 but still, what that says to us is that in this time of uncertainty, a time of deep need, a time of fear, what do people turn to? I'm guilty of it too, by the way. People turn to, to, to shopping, spending, to stuff. Be, don't be content with what you have is what the world tells us. So what then can be a more powerful message than, than doing the exact opposite? Doing what Hebrews 13 says, be content with what you have. Be content in our, in our situation, our financial situation. I tell you, this really kicked me this week. Be content with what you have. I tell you, I struggle with that. I look at the people who have the nicer houses and, and things like that, and I say, oh, wouldn't that, wouldn't that be lovely? But for us, our, our contentment isn't in how much money we have or how much stuff we have. Our contentment is in God. And so our attitude towards money and possessions actually says so much about whether or not we are content in God. I mean, haven't we seen the whole way through Hebrews how good God is? He's our good, good Father, and He gives us exactly what we need. We can totally trust Him. And, and listen, maybe you're thinking, well, I don't even have that much money, so this doesn't apply to me. But this applies just as much to poor people as it does to rich people. Apart from the fact that, that most of us in this room are, are, are some of the richest people in the world by, by global standards, this attitude of desiring money can be there no matter how much money we have in the bank. If you have a bit of money and you're a bit more comfortable, then you don't really think about your need for God. And, and, and if, if, if you don't have money, you can be consumed with trying to get money or desiring more money. But listen, listen to this promise that God has given to us this morning. No matter what your financial situation is, and your difficulty and your need, in your financial triumph maybe, I don't know. This is what God says. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I wonder if what would happen if we really believed that. I will never believe you or forsake you. Our future is secure. God will bring us there no matter what. And so we don't have to worry about how we can get more money or more stuff. The riches that we treasure are, are riches that, that have an eternal legacy, right? The riches that we treasure are, are, are deep relationships, fruitful service to God, loving His Word, serving His people. Uh, when I was in seminary, one of my teachers 
uh, he's actually a pastor in, in Monaghan, and, and he was saying, uh, he, he told us this thing that he teaches, he has uh, three little girls, and he teaches them this, he's trying to instill this attitude about money into them, and I think it perfectly sums up like a good Christian approach to money and how we can be content with what we have. He says, when it comes to money, get it fairly, give it generously, save it wisely, and spend it freely. <laughs> and I just think there's something lovely in that. Get it fairly, give it generously, save it wisely, spend it freely. Being content with what we have just means not being consumed with whether we have too little or what we're going to, or how to get more money. I just trust that we are where we are because God has put us there and it's for our good that he loves us and he'll never fail us. I will never leave you or forsake you. Money is one of those things that we don't talk about, you know, in, in Northern Ireland. We just don't talk about it. That's my business. And I just challenge you, is this an area of your life that you're willing to let Jesus into? Are, are you willing to, to, to honor God with, with how you think about and how you handle your money? Because whole life worship means being content with what you have. Fourthly then, um, whole life worship, this other, next area, it means that we're to be Bible-centered. Bible-centered. I'm going to keep reading. I'll just, I'm just going to keep reading through it as we go through. This is verses 7 to 9. It says, um, remember your leaders those who spoke to you, the word of God. He's talking about the, maybe the people who first planted this church or the people who first shared with them the gospel. He says, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Don't, do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have, been, have not benefited those devoted to uh, there's this term in, in cycling that you might not have heard of, uh, and it's this word bonk, right? It's not a rude word, calm down. It, it, it actually means that when you, uh, you, you, don't, you don't take on, on enough calories, enough energy um, during a, a ride, and so eventually you just run out of energy, and you can't go on. It's happened to me, and it's, it's the worst feeling in the world. Um, on, on a long, difficult ride, you need to be continually feeding yourself, right, um, and taking on fluids, so that you just have enough energy because you're using so much energy, it needs to be replenished. And if you don't, you won't be able to finish. And the author of Hebrews is telling these Christians that they are to need to keep on need to keep on taking in spiritual nourishment if they're to be sustained. And and if we are to live this life of complete devotion to God, that where every part of our lives is is given over to Him, then then what are we going to be sustained by? What will be our food for the journey? And I think we could sum up these verses something like this. Truth leads to grace and grace leads to strength. False teaching leads to false devotion and false devotion leads to emptiness. So, so the truth leads us to grace and grace leads us to being strengthened, leads us to being nourished and sustained. The author of Hebrews is saying, don't forget the word of God that you received at first. Hold on to that. Look at your leaders. Imitate their faith. They rely completely on the Word of God, and you should too. After all, there is nothing else, is there? When one of my favorite, 
one of my favorite episodes in the Bible, I don't know if episodes is the right word, but one of the things, favorite conversations in the Bible is that Jesus starts giving some difficult teaching about actually uh, for, for talking about figuratively his, his death, his sacrifice, and, 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 and this hard teaching, a lot of disciples just leave. And Jesus turns to his 12 and he says, are you just going to leave too? Are you going to desert me too? And Peter, classic Peter, he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. I love that. Peter knew, Peter knew that what else is there? Only Jesus and his word. That's why he says in here in Hebrews, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So why on earth would we go anywhere else? Uh, philosophies change. Opinions change. Even science changes. It feels like we're in this rapid uh, this period right now of rapid philosophical change where, where ideas about the world and life are changing uh, like almost every year. Something new comes out. But Jesus never changes. It's the gospel message that brings us to salvation. And it's the gospel message that, that sustains us in the Christian life. To put it simply, the gospel saves us and the gospel sustains us. There's so, so much teaching out there in the world. Uh, things that would lead us in a million different directions. And we're all being taught by them. We, we just absorb these things like osmosis. And I honestly think that, that most Christians of this generation get more of their opinions about God and the world from social media than they do from the Bible. And so let me ask us, let me ask you, let me ask me, who or what is teaching you? Where are you getting your leading from? Do we read the Bible and allow it to form us and shape us? When, when, when a difficult issue arises, do we, do we say, well, what does God say about that? Uh, there's a American author called Fran Leibowitz, and uh, I watched the documentary with her, and she's very funny. Uh, she's, yeah, I won't go say any more than that, but she's very funny. But, but in, a, in an article that was written aimed towards teenagers, she famously said, um, think before you speak, read before you think. Isn't that good? That's just good advice in life in general. Think before you speak, read before you think. Now, she wasn't saying that about the Bible. She's not a Christian. Um, but this is exactly what we need to do with the Bible. Being word-centered so that we can be sustained. And if we're not word-centered, we'll end up running out of energy. But when we keep returning to the word, we'll find that we're strengthened by grace. This is, can we please remember this amazing phrase from verse 9? Strengthened by grace. Isn't that just lovely? It's not a hard thing to be strengthened. It's not, a, something, that, it's not something that we have to fight for. Strengthened by His grace. It's by remembering His truth. By reading His word. And by being sustained by the word of God, we're strengthened by grace. I just love that phrase. Fifthly then, we should be bold. And we're rattling on here, and we've only two more to go. We should be bold. Listen to verses 10 to 14. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent, that's the tabernacle, have no right to eat. In other words, our, 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 our tabernacle is not a physical one anymore. Jesus. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. 
So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go out. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. See, just like in the, the Old Testament, the sacrifices, the, 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 the sin offering was burned outside the camp, outside the camp of the Israelites. To show that, that, that all the sin had been placed on that animal and then it was removed from the people outside the camp and burned outside there. So Jesus' sacrifice, his death on the cross, was carried out outside the city. He carried his cross through the city gates out to the, the, the hill called Golgotha. And that's where the once and for all sacrifice for sin took place. Now, this is, as you know, that the greatest example of unselfish and extravagant love that the world has ever seen. He went outside the camp. He endured the cross and suffered for his people. And that was an act of love. Love for us demonstrated completely, proved completely. And see, for Jesus, loving others led him to be outcast. Not just in his life, but even in his death. Led him to be sacrificed. Led him to the place outside the camp. Loving others led him to pain and suffering. And as we've, we've seen time and time again through Hebrews, we're called to follow in the footsteps of our Savior. And so oftentimes when we love others, it's going to require suffering. Our hearts will be broken. We'll be taken advantage of. We'll be used and abused. We'll be rejected. We'll bear reproach just like Jesus did. As we follow Jesus, it's going to take us outside the camp to be rejected and persecuted just like he was. Are we willing to follow Jesus outside the camp? Are, are we willing to, to follow Jesus out of that comfort zone? Are you willing to, to follow Jesus to sacrifice whatever it takes to love and serve others? Are you willing to cross cultural boundaries? What about, the, uh, what about loving and serving and respecting the, the Roma people of our community, of which there are tons? What about, uh, what about the, the Muslims in our, our community, of which there are tons? In fact, what about people from the other side of the orange and green divide from you? Are you willing to cross those lines? Are you willing to leave your comfort zone? And I love this in verse 13. I want us to notice this. He says, let us go to him outside the camp. We're not called to, to, to go for Jesus. We're called to go to him. Outside the camp is where Jesus is. He's not telling us to go somewhere he's not. He's, not, he's inviting us to come and follow him where he is. There is Jesus outside the camp with a crown of thorns in his head, with, with, with hands and feet pierced by nails and, and a side stab with a spear. And he's calling to us to come after him. And so are we willing to step out of the luxury and the comfort of our good room, and I'm sorry to use that again, our good room, and follow him outside? I'll tell you this, because it's, it's, in the dark, it's, it's in the dark places of the world that we find Jesus. It's to the dark places of the world that the path of Jesus leads, to the outsiders, to the lonely, to the broken. And if we want to follow him, 
We must follow him there. Full life worship means being bold, stepping outside our comfort zone, outside the camp. Finally then, where to be worshipful? I know this is a challenging message and, and I, I'm feeling massively challenged. But let's finish this up by looking at the last two verses, verses 15 and 16. Through him, through Jesus, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. These last two verses are, are like a summary of everything that we've seen this morning that comes down to this. The Christian life is a life of worshiping God through our words and our actions. The Christian life is a life of worshiping God through what we say and what we do. This week I had coffee with a friend who I haven't seen in a really long time and actually when we sat down outside canteen around the corner there, uh, we realized that it had been 10 years since we had had coffee together, 10 years, and, and so much has changed in that time. But one thing that I was really glad to find hadn't changed is that he's just someone that is constantly saying, praise the Lord. Like that, it's just scattered into his conversation. He's just, it's just like every other sentence is, praise the Lord. And I had forgotten just how encouraging it is to be around, just to hear that, to hear someone just confessing the name of the Lord and praising Him. And while I was listening to him, uh, I was thinking about this passage and, and I realized that he is someone who is doing what Hebrews 13 verse 15 says, continually praising God. And, and, and it made me wonder, could, could that be said of me? Could that be said of you? Are, are we known for just continually offering up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the, the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name? If Jesus really is better for us, if we really grasp the goodness of God, then the words, the words and language of praise should never be far from our speech. There's nothing more encouraging uh, than being in the company of someone who is just continually praising God. It, it, you know this with people you've been around. It's class. Praise the Lord. It makes you want to praise God. But even though these words of praise are vitally important, acceptable worship is more than this. It's words and actions, isn't it? This is what this whole passage has been about. Sacrifices of verse 16, the sacrifices of, of, that please God are not worship songs sung in church. Not the amount you come to a gathering like this or, or, or the amount you come to a prayer meeting. Things are important, yes. But we can't neglect doing good. We can't neglect sharing what we have with those in need. Listen, it's through lives lived in devotion to God in the everyday, in the muck of every day, that the truth of the gospel is proclaimed. The kingdom of God is built through the washing of feet, through the feeding of the hungry, through jobs done and careers pursued with integrity through the outcasts and oppressed being cared for, through strangers welcomed at the dinner table, and through God-honoring sex lives. That, these things are, are the, the sacrifices that God finds pleasure in. These are acceptable offerings of worship made on the altar of Jesus Christ. And here's the truth, because we, we have no lasting city here. We seek the city that is to come. We don't put our stock in with the, the things that the, this world values right? We know there's something far, far better in store for us. And in the meantime, 
We live our lives in ways that, that honor him. I've said this before, and I'll say it again. The Christian life is simple. Now, don't hear me wrong. It's not easy. I'm not saying it's easy. It was never meant to be easy. Nothing worth doing is ever easy, right? It's not easy, but it is simple. Live your life in ordinary and everyday ways to honor God. That's it. That's the Christian life. I heard someone put it this way. Christians read the Bible. We suffer with joy. We set a seat at the table for strangers, and we wait confidently for a future we can't yet see. That's the Christian life. That's whole life worship. This is acceptable sacrifice to God. Now, I want to finish with this. You might say, look, isn't this too demanding? Isn't this too demanding of God? Isn't he just asking too much of me? No. No, he's not. Because all we have to do to realize it's not too much of him to ask is just look outside the city walls for a second. And what do we see? See Jesus hanging on a cross. We see the sacrifice that he offered. We see what it cost our Jesus to love us. And he is so lovely. He is so good. The Holy Spirit is such a great gift that, that even a life completely and fully dedicated to, to honoring him and worshiping him is nothing compared to what we've already received through Jesus. The gift of grace and forgiveness and love and eternal life that we receive in Jesus is so beautiful and so amazing and so unending that it deserves nothing short of a life completely devoted to Him. Acceptable worship is whole life Christianity. Final thought, what would it look like if we actually became a church of loving, pure, content, Bible-centered, bold, worshipful people? What would that look like? What would that do to your life? How much joy would that bring into your life? How would that change this area around us? I'm just praying that we can be strengthened by grace and offer our lives as acceptable worship. Let me pray. Father, that is what I pray. I pray that we would be strengthened by grace as we just offer up our lives to you as acceptable worship. Father, this is hard, and you know it's hard for us because you know we're sinful. Um, but yet, Lord, that you said, you promised that we'll be strengthened by grace. Lord, we love you, and, and we do. It's not that we don't want to do this. It's just that we get tired, and we get distracted, and our sinful hearts find hope in other things. Help us, Lord. We need you in this. We need you to follow you in this way. Jesus, help us to see this uh, picture of you that is so lovely and so irresistible that it produces no other response in us except whole life worship. May we be people who are just known for continually praising you with our lips, worshiping you with our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.